BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. School of Humans. This is the 10th and final episode of Longshot. And this time around, I want to do something different. We've covered a lot of vaccine ground in this series, starting thousands, even millions of years ago, and bringing it forward to the pandemic days we're still living in. In this super episode of Longshot, we'll go over all the coolest things from this series and fill in a few gaps along the way. It's going to move pretty fast, but if you're listening to this series, your brain probably moves pretty fast too. From School of Humans and iHeartRadio, I'm Sean Revive, and this is Longshot. Let's get this party started 293 million years ago. That's when Joel Wertheim, an associate professor of medicine at UC San Diego, estimates coronaviruses first appeared. Our estimates put the ancestor of all coronaviruses at hundreds of millions of years old, which actually would line up with the split between bats and birds or their divergence. Now, as much as I'd like to think in all of that noise and all of that uncertainty, we managed to hit the nail on the head going back hundreds of millions of years uh, and identifying the split between bats and birds. I just think that that's a lucky happenstance and nobody knows how old they are. Okay, so he's not really sure about that number, but it's probably safe to say that coronaviruses first appeared millions of years ago. But the practice of inoculation the prevention of disease through contraction of that disease doesn't start with coronaviruses. It starts with smallpox. Yep, smallpox. One of the deadliest diseases in human history. Killer of hundreds of millions of people. Smallpox probably predates written history. But some Egyptian mummies were found with signs of smallpox. And there are written descriptions of smallpox from 7th century India. So we know it goes back many hundreds of years at least. But what about smallpox inoculation? There's a legend about smallpox inoculators living on a mountain in China about a millennium ago. The son of a local governor got very sick from smallpox, which by then had plagued China for at least a thousand years. The governor 
offered piles of gold to anyone who could help his son. Real documentation of inoculation comes about 500 years later in a 1549 medical text by a Ming Dynasty physician. Things start getting less hazy in the 1600s. In 1680, an inoculator named Fu Sheng Lin is chosen by an emperor in China to protect his children. Though the Kangxi Emperor survived the smallpox, he did not escape its trauma. Every time there was an outbreak of smallpox, he was haunted both by his father's death and by the isolation. And so when he grew into an adult, the Kangxi Emperor searched far and wide for the empire's best inoculators. 35 years later, in 1715, Lady Mary Wortley Montague, a talented British poet and young aristocrat, gets smallpox, which is probably the single deadliest disease in England at the time. Her symptoms are horrible. A wicked fever, a rapid pulse, trouble breathing due to swelling of her nose and throat, liquid-filled pustules that eventually cover her entire body and face. Lady Mary survives the pox, but her face is scarred for life. The next year, she moves from London to Constantinople with her ambassador husband. There, she hears that the Turkish have a way of protecting against smallpox. What they do is purposefully inject the patient with a little smallpox matter, and that gives the patient lifelong protection from full-blown smallpox. Two years later, in 1718, Mary has her five-year-old son inoculated. He may be the first English person ever to be inoculated. And when she returns to London, she has her daughter inoculated by a surgeon named Charles Maitland. He'd go on to perform an inoculation experiment on prisoners in 1722. Here's historian Arthur Boylson. So six of them, all of them quite young, uh, late teens, early 20s, and they were all inoculated. It was a big public spectacle. They had all been sentenced to hang for various crimes. And the king agreed that he would allow Maitland to inoculate some prisoners. And at one point, somebody complained to the king and said, you know, that, that, that's a fairly nasty thing to do. And the king said, well, it was better than they preferred it to hanging. <laughs> Regardless of the ethics of this experiment, all six prisoners live and are pardoned. Meanwhile, around this time, an enslaved African brings inoculation to the United States. His name is Onesimus, and he's owned by a Puritan minister in Boston named Cotton Mather. And Onesimus changes the course of inoculation history in the U.S. When Mather asks Onesimus if he's ever had smallpox, Onesimus replies both yes and no. He shows Mather a scar and says it's from an operation where he got a small amount of smallpox in order to protect him from the disease. Years later, when a smallpox outbreak comes to Boston, Mather becomes the strongest voice in favor of inoculation. And by the time of the American Revolution, General George Washington makes inoculation standard practice for soldiers. So he inoculates the entire Continental Army over a period of weeks. Within the Army, it, it prevented smallpox. And thereafter, inoculation became part of the enrollment ritual for new soldiers. They were given a shirt, a gun, shoes, and inoculated. It's the reason the United States exists. A few decades after Lady Mary in the UK and Onesimus in the US, 
A family by the name of Sutton starts an inoculation business in rural England, traveling around and inoculating entire towns. They're the first inoculation entrepreneurs. It was explosive. There were villages all over the country that adopted the Suttonian system. They hire a preacher to speak of God's support for the practice. This is the way for our escape. Reason directs us to it. Experience proves the utility and safety. This sickness, as caused by inoculation, is not unto death. The Suttons help make inoculation a mainstream practice. And by the time their work is finished, a new type of smallpox prevention is discovered by Edward Jenner. The legend goes that he meets a milkmaid with perfect skin, and she tells him about being exposed to cowpox, which gives her protection from smallpox. We all know and believe that beautiful story of the milkmaid and how she was gorgeous and so on, but it's not true, it was made up. Even if the story isn't true, Jenner does pretty much invent vaccination with his use of cowpox to fight smallpox. In 1796, Jenner makes history by testing his vaccine on his gardener's son, eight-year-old James Phipps. And the boy lives. In the 1880s, Louis Pasteur creates vaccines for anthrax and then rabies, using the practice of attenuation, weakening the virus before injecting it into the body. In 1918, the Spanish flu arrives and sort of takes over the entire world for a couple years, killing somewhere around 50 million people. The next year, Maurice Hilleman is born. Well, I'm uh, Maurice Hilleman. I had a long career in science, about 60 years. Hilleman is the goat of vaccine invention. He helps develop most of the vaccines that we get today. Measles, rubella, hepatitis A, hepatitis B, meningococcus, hib, streptococcus, chickenpox. That's all him. He also accidentally helps discover adenoviruses while culturing the cells of a dead man's trachea. And I said, well, I'd like to have his trachea. So I went over to the morgue and waited for him to carve out the trachea, wrapped it up in newspaper, brought it back to the lab, cut it open, started chopping out tissue. Some days, you know, everything just goes right. <laughs> Adenoviruses are used today as a delivery system for some of the COVID vaccines, like AstraZeneca's and Johnson & Johnson's. Hilleman even creates a vaccine from his own daughter's cells in 1963. The name of the vaccine is Sigerolin strain. It's on all of the boxes and package inserts that come out. I have had the pleasure throughout my life of also being called Miss Mumps, and uh, usually by pediatricians. <laughs> and while Maurice Hilleman is doing his thing, some other cool things are happening with vaccines. By the 1940s, we've got new vaccines for diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis. In 1955, Jonas Salk comes out with his vaccine for polio. There's also some not-so-cool stuff happening. When the polio vaccine comes out, one of the companies mass-producing it, Cutter Laboratories, messes up and creates tens of thousands of doses containing live polio virus. 51 people are paralyzed and five die after getting the vaccine meant to prevent polio. And in 1966, a vaccine trial for respiratory syncytial virus in D.C. goes bad. 18 babies, mostly from poor black families, end up in the hospital, and two of them die. 
RSV can be deadly in children, and there is still no FDA-approved vaccine today. We'll get back to RSV in a sec. In 1980, smallpox returns to the news when the World Health Assembly officially declares the virus eradicated. Yes, after thousands of years, vaccines have rid the world of one of humanity's greatest killers. But HIV and AIDS appear around that time. They spread throughout the 80s, at first primarily in gay men, but also in intravenous drug users and later in countries in Africa. A virologist named Eddie Holmes goes to Edinburgh, Scotland, to study HIV spread in the early 90s. What we were trying to do was trying to work out how the virus was spreading through that population, how it, how it had diffused and how it got into the city and how it was spreading. In the 90s, a team at the U.S. National Institutes of Health creates a vaccine called Rotashield to fight a deadly childhood disease called rotavirus. Rotashield gets the nod from the CDC. But within months, some cases of a rare intestinal disorder pop up, and the CDC withdraws its recommendation. But all throughout the 80s and 90s, another team of researchers is working on a rival vaccine for rotavirus called Rotatech. That one gets love from the FDA and CDC in 2006, but not before the biggest clinical trial in the history of medicine. 11 countries and nearly 70,000 infants. Here's Paul Offit, one of the developers of Rotatech. And it ended in, in a so-called phase three trial, a prospective placebo-controlled, 11 country, four-year, $350 million trial to prove that the vaccine worked. The size of that enormous trial leads to the similarly giant trials we have in 2020 for the COVID vaccines. Johnson & Johnson, AstraZeneca, Pfizer, Moderna, and others around the world are all amongst the largest clinical trials ever. In 2002, we get an outbreak of severe acute respiratory syndrome the first SARS. More than 8,000 people in 29 countries get it. But by 2004, it mostly dies out. Thanks to people like Maurice Hilleman, we've got tons of vaccines at this point. But in 2006, a new discovery leads to all sorts of advances in medicine, including the way we make vaccines. That year, Shinya Yamanaka, a Japanese researcher, discovers a way to reprogram mature mouse cells into immature cells. They can then be turned into whatever type of cells he wants. Here's Derek Rossi, who's in the audience when Yamanaka announces his discovery. So what he demonstrated was that he could take any cell type, any differentiated cell, which would normally, we had thought, been sort of fixed in its identity, but he discovered a way by introducing four genes to turn back the developmental time on what was a differentiated cell type and reverted back to an embryonic stem cell-like state. Derek is at Harvard in 2007, and he wants to build upon Yamanaka's work changing mature cells to immature cells. Yamanaka is inserting strands of DNA into cells in order to change them. But this is dangerous for humans. It could give you cancer. So Derek decides to use mRNA instead, which is kind of like skipping a step in the way that life is made. I call it the trifecta of life. DNA makes mRNA, makes protein, makes life. Postdoctoral fellow in my lab, Dr. Luigi Warren, had the idea, very simple idea, of just saying, hey, you know, we, we need to make these transcription factors. Let's just skip the whole DNA part. Let's just use mRNA. That turns out to be a genius move. But he runs into another problem. When he puts RNA into cells, 
the cells think they're being attacked by a virus. Which caused the cell to respond by saying, ooh, looks like a virus is coming in, let's shut down protein production, and it really looks like a virus is coming in, so let's kill ourselves, you know, an altruistic suicide, a cell death, which is a good thing for the cell to do, you know, rather than let it be hijacked by a virus and have it make hundreds of thousands of viral particles. He finds a workaround from a couple researchers at the University of Pennsylvania. The researchers are Catlin Carrico and Drew Weissman, and they figured out a cloaking method for tricking cells into not thinking they're being invaded. Derek integrates it into his own work, and lo and behold, now we can change human cells without killing them or causing cancerous mutations. That was the sort of technological breakthrough that led to the development of modified mRNA. We called it in the lab mod RNA. He takes this work down the street to Bob Langer, a serial entrepreneur based at MIT, and they start a company that they eventually name Moderna. By the way, just as a, you know, a fun fact, you know, Moderna, it comes from the term that we used in the lab describing the technology. We called it mod RNA. So mod RNA, if you put an E in there, you get Moderna. That's where the name came from. At its formation, Moderna has exactly zero full-time employees and no products. They won't have one for 10 more years. In 2008, structural biologist Jason McClellan takes a job at the NIH, where he meets Barney Graham. Graham wants to create a vaccine for RSV, which is that virus I mentioned earlier that can kill infants. The RSV vaccine that failed back in the 60s was made by weakening a strain of the virus by passing it through animal tissue, or human cells. That's how Maurice Hilleman made a lot of his vaccines. But Jason and Dr. Graham have a new method in mind. They want to mess with the F protein of RSV. That's the one the virus uses to infect human cells. Before the F protein attaches itself to a human cell, it is in its pre-fusion state. If you think of your immune system as a security guard, you want to train your immune system to recognize the form that might infect you, like the dangerous form, and that's the pre-fusion form. If you train it to recognize the post-fusion form, the pre-fusion form can still sneak by you. Barney Graham and Jason want to figure out how to keep the F protein in this state. And in 2013, they do. They figure out a way to sort of staple the protein so it stays in that form. And when Barney immunized mice and compared post-fusion versus pre-fusion, the mice receiving the pre-fusion form of the F protein elicited neutralizing antibodies about 10 times higher than, the, than those that re received the post-fusion. This is the first time that structural biology, looking super closely at the structure of a virus, helps discover a new way to stop it. But now they want to see what other viruses they can work on using this pre-fusion protein state. This is right around the time that Middle East Respiratory Syndrome is first reported in Saudi Arabia. MERS is a really bad coronavirus. 35% of people infected with it were dying. It's a real lethal virus. And we thought that this would be a good target to try to take everything we had just learned about RSV and apply it to not just MERS, but coronaviruses in general. Uh, because we knew SARS coronavirus had emerged in China in, in 2002, and it caused a, an epidemic. It turns out that MERS has a protein that works kind of like the RSVF protein. It's called the spike protein. And when the MERS virus attacks human cells, the spike injects itself into them in order to spread throughout the body. 
but it's not easy to staple the spike protein. It takes tons of trial and error. Here's Nianchan Wang, Jason's postdoc, to explain how hard it is to figure this out. We just try uh, again and again. Most of the time, it just failed. Yeah, it's not that easy, actually. To find a mutation that can help to stabilize the S-protein, it's pretty challenging. By 2017, they figure out how to staple the spike protein in place and use that to teach the immune system to fight off a MERS infection. But they don't have any people to test it on. It turns out MERS doesn't spread very easily, and the outbreak is mostly over by then. No outbreak means no human trials. No human trials means they can't be sure that stabilizing the spike protein really works as a vaccine candidate. Then, in December 2019, a new coronavirus appears. Here's Derek Rossi. You could see that, you know, it was really snowballing. I mean, it had everything that a good pathogen would want. It was respiratory. When it was first being reported, the fatality rates and the illness rates were very, very high. We didn't, you know, it was a new virus. We didn't know how to respond to it. So the fatality rate was around 2%. That's pretty darn serious. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. In mid-December 2019, a worker at the Huanan Seafood Wholesale Market gets sick with pneumonia-like symptoms. He's admitted to Central Hospital of Wuhan, and he's one of the first novel coronavirus patients in the world. Central Hospital happens to be where British virologist Eddie Holmes and his Chinese colleague John Zheng Zhang are studying patients with acute respiratory symptoms around that time. But what that meant was we were kind of like on site almost 
looking at the same disease syndrome in the right tissue samples with the right technology. And so we happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, if you like, when it all kind of started. And that gave us an open door to really try and look at the, some of the early the first cases to see what was going on. Late at night on January 5th, 2020, Jiang finishes sequencing the virus. But Chinese authorities are trying to keep anything related to the virus from being made public. The Ministry of Health were controlling everything. And they wanted, they wanted to control the message. They wanted to damp down on rumors. They wanted to be in control of the situation. On January 11th, Jiang gets on a plane in Shanghai and is about to take off when his phone buzzes. It's Eddie. I called Zhang very early and I said, we need to release these data now. Zhang agrees and has a postdoc send the sequence to Eddie. Eddie tweets out a link. That moment kicks off development for the COVID-19 vaccines. And that's exactly what Jason McClellan starts working on. The reports were coming out of these pneumonia clusters in Wuhan. Uh, we could just see it following along on science Twitter and on the news. And then it was early in, in January when it was learned that, in fact, it is a coronavirus, uh, a beta coronavirus that's similar to the, the first SARS-CoV from 2002. Jason's at the University of Texas now. I was uh, snowboarding with my family in Park City, Utah, and uh, Barney Graham called me. He said he, he was in contact with the U.S. CDC, Chinese CDC, and they were going to try and, and work quickly, work with Moderna, try and create a vaccine. Moderna is still considered an upstart company at best, and it's never brought a vaccine to market. And he wanted to know if, uh, if we were interested in continuing our collaboration to determine the structure of the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein and use that information to, to create the, the vaccine antigen. Jason texts his graduate student, Daniel Rapp. We were sort of ready to go. That's Daniel. Because we've been studying these spike proteins for such a long time, we knew how to effectively stabilize spike in the prefusion confirmation, and that acts as a really good vaccine candidate. Within a few weeks, they figure out how to stabilize the spike protein of the novel coronavirus. But to make a vaccine work, they need to make sure the mRNA gets where it needs to go to instruct the body to make stabilized spike proteins. What Moderna does is encapsulate the mRNA in a lipid nanoparticle shell to protect the mRNA on its way to doing its thing. Here's biochemist Thomas Madden of Acuitous Therapeutics in Vancouver to remind us what an LNP is and does. If you wanted to order a, a really fragile glass ornament online and you wanted it delivered to your, to your home, if you used the equivalent of our delivery technology, then the ornament would be would be wrapped and packaged to protect it, no matter how rough the the journey was to to your to your house. The package would would find your house. It would open the front door by itself and let itself in, and then it would unwrap itself so the ornament is waiting for you to come along and and, and pick up in your hallway. So the lipid nanoparticle delivers the vaccine, kind of like how FedEx delivers a package. Around the same time that the phase one trials for Moderna begin, the U.S. starts shutting down. Rush to the grocery store like every single other person. And, you know, the meat sections were empty. And that just kind of, that was a little eerie to see. This is Nicola Pascarelli. 
and all of a sudden I just felt like everything was closed off and I didn't like that feeling. And so it's like, what can I do to get everything to return back to normal as soon as possible? What can I do? What can I do to make things better? Because I felt just so hopeless. Tom Hanks has COVID, the NBA has shut down, entire cities and countries around the world shut down. And Nicola volunteers for the phase one trial at the Hope Clinic in Atlanta. I'm in phase one. Like, I am one of 15 people getting the highest dosage that no one else in this country, in this world, has ever gotten. And I think for a moment, I thought, oh, God, am I crazy? Like, could I die? And then I was like, no, it's fine. Modern medicine is great. And it is great. The phase one trial is a success. It was a very smooth process. And I remember afterwards, they they wanted me to stay to observe me for a while after the vaccine. And it was still just like getting used to the whole new change in the world. Meanwhile, more than 100 other vaccines are in the works around the world. All sorts of them. Sputnik in Russia, Sinopharm and Sinovac in China, AstraZeneca in the UK, Covaxin in India, Soberana 2 in Cuba, There are mRNA vaccines, adenovirus vaccines, inactivated vaccines. There are even vaccines grown in tobacco-like plants. But in the meantime, before the vaccines are actually rolled out, lots of people are getting sick and lots of people are dying. And nearly everyone else is stuck at home, stuck caring for people, confused about what to do and how to live. So happy Halloween to me. Turns out I did have COVID. A lot of us are really lonely, unable to see friends or family, no office to go to. Some people get COVID pets, like Marina in Sweden. I was having a really hard time sticking to any sort of schedule because the days were all the same and there was nothing to do. And then when COVID came around and I had been working from home for nine or 10 months, I was just at my wit's end, like so sick of just being by myself. So I decided like, now is the time, Um, I'll get a dog, I can be at home and, you know, train the dog, it seemed like a good idea. But during COVID, everything is more complicated and plans just continuously get fucked up for everyone all the time. In a slightly different world, I would have gotten all those things I wanted. But in a COVID world, I didn't get any of them. Some people get sick and stay sick, like Dave Hockaday in Oxford. It was just getting worse each day. And then, of course, the fatigue was building. That was getting worse. And there was just generally feeling, starting to feel really unwell, inflamed, hot. Um, I was getting chills at night time, so night sweats. Um, insomnia, dreadful nightmares. My God, the nightmares were horrific. People like Dave have long COVID. And even today, it's unclear what exactly is causing it. Just seeing the numbers, like the average number of symptoms that long COVID patients had. That's Athena Akrami, a neuroscientist at University College London. She got COVID in March 2020. And 17 months later, she's still sick. She now spends a lot of her time studying long COVID. The average number of symptoms is more than 50. Just like seeing that number, that like one person can experience 50 different symptoms was kind of, I don't know, shocking. And it seems like long COVID will be a huge problem for years to come. We are just like accumulating so many long COVIDs down the line. 
like in a year, probably each country will have millions of people, most of them, again, previously young and fit, that now they are just like really struggling to go back to semi-normal life. That I really don't know what will, what it, how, it's a crisis, it's a health crisis. But on a positive note, by early 2021, three vaccines have gotten emergency authorization in the U.S., and they start making their way to healthcare workers and the elderly. There are major hiccups at first. I mean, it's damn near impossible for some people to get appointments because there's no central system to do that. It's a goddamn free-for-all instead of an orderly line. At first, I was not successful in finding a vaccine. That's Stanley Plotkin, one of the world's top experts on vaccines. Even the guy who literally wrote the book on vaccines has trouble getting an appointment at first. He's 88 years old and really vulnerable if he gets COVID. What do you mean you weren't successful? You mean like you were you couldn't get an appointment at first? Yes, I, well, I, I think initially finding it was not, not easy. Initially, there was a lot of of uh, uncertainty about where vaccines were available, uh, how much was available, etc. That's how chaotic it is in the beginning of 2021. And so it became a, you still have to navigate systems that are largely fragmented and, by the way, all online in order to secure an appointment. And guess what? The very populations that were favored as early uh, beneficiaries of New York State's vaccine program are precisely the populations who can't be on the internet all day or are not on the internet. So the elderly, restaurant workers, grocery store workers, taxi drivers. That's S. Mitra Kalita, whose organization Epicenter NYC helps get people vaccine appointments in Jackson Heights, Queens, back when it's super hard to do it if you aren't really internet savvy. But eventually, there is so much vaccine out there in the U.S. that anyone who wants a shot can get one. Of course, not everyone does. One way to get vaccines made and distributed faster for the next pandemic is to use human challenge trials. That's where people get a disease on purpose so that doctors and scientists can study it. The first human challenge trial for COVID begins in the U.K. in March 2021. And Jacob Hopkins is one of the participants. The experience of getting uh, COVID is the most surreal thing in the world. Like, it's intimidating. This is him describing how they infect him during the trial. It's like, Jesus Christ, like, this is, like, intense. And they get this huge pipette. It's like, almost like a turkey base. Like, it's a massive pipette they have. They pick it up. They start counting down. So they count down from 20, which just adds to the suspense, really. And then um, they kind of, like, drop it in each nostril. So they kind of drop it around the outside of one nostril and then do the other. And then they wait, and they count off from 20 again. And then they repeat. You kind of just sit, like, you're kind of just laying there in silence, like, just thinking, oh, my God, I've just been infected with coronavirus. And, like, it kind of, the reality kind of hits in at that point. And while the UK and US and other wealthy nations are overloaded with vaccines, poorer countries can't get enough to vaccinate even small portions of their people. Even with donations trickling in from miserly nations like the U.S., low-income nations are still only 2% vaccinated on average. 
And so a bunch of researchers get together and create a new vaccine that can be produced cheaply and easily. Here's Bruce Innes from the organization PATH. We're extremely interested in ensuring that countries where health budgets are not strong have access to uh, world-class vaccines that are life-saving on the proposition that everyone deserves to have access to life-saving vaccines. PATH has helped coordinate the development of this new vaccine, which is called NDV-HXPS. It uses a new stabilized spike protein called Hexapro, developed by Jason McClellan and his colleagues at UT. And then also starting to make a second-generation spike protein that was uh, even more stable than the two-proline form. The engineered protein is carried into the body by Newcastle disease virus, which is an avian virus. Here's Peter Palese, a microbiologist at Mount Sinai who helped develop the vaccine. And so we thought, okay, why don't we put the a SARS coronavirus spike protein into Newcastle disease virus, and that's what we did. So we have a vector-driven vaccine. The big difference between this vaccine and the ones we've gotten in the U.S. is that it's cheaper to make because it's grown in chicken eggs, just like most flu shots. And it's being piloted in Vietnam, Brazil, and Thailand already. Here's Bruce again. They've made multiple lots of vaccine initially at pilot scale, which might involve a few thousand eggs, and we're getting typically about seven to eight finished vaccine doses per inoculated egg. You can think of the egg as a mini bioreactor, each one self-contained bioreactor. And now they're in the process of manufacturing investigational vaccine lots at full commercial scale. Some phase one clinical trials have already finished, and the results are promising. But the new vaccine still needs to go through the big phase three trials. If they go well, NDV-HXBS may end up being, at least for some countries, the future of coronavirus vaccines. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer songwriter and composer John Batiste the all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen 
smart enough to anticipate your needs even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. That brings us to the end of this podcast. We started millions of years ago and finished still in a pandemic with no clear end. Variants are here, people are still getting sick and dying, and life is still weird and annoying, even if you're healthy. I'm personally super impressed with all the incredible researchers and volunteers and historians we heard from and about. I mean, how the hell the first human being figured out that giving someone a little bit of a disease to protect from a lot of it, hundreds if not thousands of years ago, is just mind-blowing to me. But just a reminder, this is not the entire story. It's just what I've been able to cover in this relatively short 10-part series. There are a ton of people who have made important contributions to so many vaccines. Lots of names that have gone unsaid by me and by others. Lots of people whose work has helped save hundreds of millions of lives, and also hundreds of millions of lives that have been lost along the way. As of today, 4.77 million people have died of COVID. And they include, just to name a few, Darlene Ray, Rosemarie Fazio, Ron Kieran, Adele Cercelli, Kenny Kasinja, Dr. Furkan Ali Sadiki, Patricia Francis Prescott, Mark Dvorshak, and my Aunt Rivka. A COVID vaccine could have saved almost all of those 4.77 million people. Just like a smallpox vaccine has saved, who the hell knows how many people? My hope is that when the next pandemic hits, we'll be able to create a vaccine even faster and get it to more people faster. But that'll depend on more research, more domestic and international cooperation, and more agreement in the world in general. There's just no way to protect the world unless the whole world is protected. Now let's end this thing with another dip into the recent past. March 27th, 2021. The first Bhutanese person is about to get her first shot of a COVID vaccine. Her name is Ninda, which roughly translates to the sun and the moon. She's 30 years old and was born in the year of the monkey. The nurse who will administer her shot is also 30 years old and also born in the year of the monkey. After being picked to be the first person in her country to be vaccinated, Ninda says, let this small step of mine today help us all prevail through this illness. She sits with her back to a room full of masked healthcare workers and monks, and they pray together until she gets her shot. Longshot is a production of School of Humans and iHeartRadio. Today's episode was produced, written, and narrated by me, Sean Raviv. My co-producer is Gabby Watts. Special thanks to Noel Brown at iHeartRadio. Executive producers are Virginia Prescott, Elsie Crowley, and Brandon Barr. Fact-checking for this episode is by Adam Pshadu. Longshot was scored by Jason Shannon. The score was mixed by Vic Stafford. Sound design and audio mix was by Harper Harris with Tune Welders. School of Humans. 
Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information.